This is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe if every word is true, and it's all that I need. It's true. All right. Matthew 7, and we will go into it, but I just want to double check as we are ending the Sermon on the Mount today. I want to make sure that you understand this whole concept of the sermon that he started in Matthew 5. He made sure that you and I realize that before we can go into his teaching and his commands, we have got to have a different frame of mind. We've got to have a a desire in our heart that our heart and mind have got to be ready and that only happens when we are willing to step aside and and have his holy spirit take over so that then he can help us do what we can't do on our own and that's obey his commands because every one of these commands are going to go against your human grain I mean, it's just not easy. So he starts about making sure that he's saying, I will make it worth your while. You will be so glad you did. But if you put yourself aside, that's why blessed are the poor in spirit. He starts right away with that because that's the initial thing. I will make it worth your while. I will bless you for all eternity if you put yourself aside and you want to hear from me and you want to go my way instead of yours because there's only two ways. It's either your way or my way and you are constantly making that choice. And so you need that frame of mind. You need that open heart that only the Holy Spirit can do if you really, and and, and then he moves to the next part by saying, and be careful because that all sounds good and you can say it with words and you can fool everybody, but be so careful because I can see your heart motive. And that's something that you need to go over quite often to make sure that the reason why you do your acts of righteousness, why you act out Jesus is because you're not doing it for anything of your own, but you're doing it for him. And he can, he's saying, be careful because I can tell. I can tell when you do things for your own for your own gratification. That's why I said, you know, you'll you better love your reward now. You better enjoy all those accolades that you're getting now. That you did it, everybody saw. Yay, yay, yay. Because he says, that's all you're gonna get. You're not gonna get it from me. And remember how he says that if you do it for me even though it might not be noticed by people and you might not get the human accolades, I will reward you. And how much more his reward, how great, how much more great is his reward. So um, I think that's just so important to remember and keep going over. And then, of course, the do not worry. That's such a major one. So I'm just going to remind you the difference between worry and concern. I think, at least for me, it helped me greatly to know that there's a big difference between worry and being concerned. We all have a, a... our something, you know, and like I prayed this morning, we all have our something that weighs heavy on our heart. And so are we going to sit and worry about it? And that's why he says, do not worry about your life. So do you got that? I mean, he said, there's no, there's no excuses here. There's no, there's not one area, even the most precious to you. Don't worry about it because 
worry is going to put you immobile. It's going to cause you to do nothing, but then cause damage because you're going to do nothing and sit there and feel like everything is hopeless and helpless and you're defeated and it's all she wrote and this is so terrible and that's what worry will do. It just, it just doesn't do you any good, but concern about the same situation will cause you to go into God's word, will cause you to go to him. And like what Ruth said this morning, it will cause you to pray and connect with him and remember everything you know about him. So when, you, when you're connected to him, the Holy Spirit will help you remember, I will always be with you. Um, I will take every step here with you. I will supply what you need. My grace, my grace, I lavish upon you, and it will be enough. And you can do all things through Christ who will give you strength. Because you know that God so loves you so much that he gave his son for you. I mean, let him just fill you with all the verses you know, and you tell me if you can stay in a hopeless state. So there's the difference between worry and concern. Last night it was really quite quite cute, if I could say that, because there's this lady that asked for a request, and she said, I'm so wor- concerned about, <laughs> and it was just so cute, and I'm thinking that's what we need to catch ourselves before we say that I'm, I'm not worried. Jesus told me not to worry, and again, would Jesus ever tell you if he didn't to say, I'll give you a way out of this. I mean, he doesn't make a joke and mockery out of us. Like, I'm telling them not to worry like that's going to do them any good. No, he's saying, I'm going to teach them that they have a way out of this worry. They can bring it to me. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. I mean, you know, let the Holy Spirit feed you with all the truth that you know and you watch your disposition and everything change about that so-called hopeless situation it's not so hopeless after all so and then we move into today's lesson and it's the the ending it's kind of his wrap-up of this sermon on the mount And, and again the more you go over it the more you are amazed at and that's why it ends with and everybody was amazed because you can't help but be amazed by Jesus teaching it just has such perfect order he starts like I said with the Beatitudes to get our mind changed to get our heart open to receive God's spirit to be able to hear him instead of our own destructive way of thinking to really want to to live out and be real and not just be churchy and religious and all that but be real to be changed to actually be salt to actually be light we are light and we are salt but we determine whether we're gonna have flavor and make Jesus taste good or whether we're going to be a city on a hill so that people can always find Jesus because they can look to us and see that we have the light. I still love it when when the people, the religious leaders in Acts, after when 
when the apostles, when Peter and John especially, they said they could tell the, that these unlearned, unschooled, plain old fishermen, they'd been with Jesus. I mean, what, what an encouragement for us. But yet, what a big thing to know that when we are living out Jesus, it's noticeable. People can see. And now he's going to get more into that as he draws this sermon to a close. And he says, okay, um, as you've followed this order and as you have learned so far, now I can bring you to this point where he says, therefore, do not judge. Unfortunately, because we have not learned the difference between judging and fruit inspecting, we do nothing and we let people get away with things, and us included. Loved ones don't dare say anything to us because, oh, you know, who am I to say anything to her? Because after all, I've got this big old plank in my eye, so I better not do anything. And because of that, nothing gets done, and Christianity gets become complacent, and, every, and we just don't dare do what we're supposed to do. So he, in this chapter, is going to show us the difference between the two. When he says, do not judge, boy, I mean, that's pretty strong language. Do not, not, not you know, um, well, I don't know how else to put it. He just, matter of fact, do not judge. So I thought, I'm going to look that up. What is judging? What does that mean? And boy, am I glad that dictionary had the answer. Because judging, this is what the dictionary says judging is. It's when I quickly, when I quickly make a personal or biased opinion about something or someone that I don't even know. And how quick we can do that. We quickly make a bias or personal. So that means I'm going to look at you and I'm going to determine whether I'm going to like you or not by whether um, you, you appeal to my, my expectations. It is such a self thing. It is so pitiful. I had a, I had a gal write me last night when I got home. From after the, the Monday night class, she, she wrote me a note. And she says, thank you for again reminding me how pathetic I am. How pathetic I am by when I do not heed to this and I follow my own human self, I do that. And she says, I need to be aware how badly I need to stay connected to the Lord Jesus and his spirit. And so, and, and I got to tell you, she's just a wonderful girl. <laughs> I was so surprised. So see, and she's a wonderful gal because of the fact she, she knows who she is without a Savior and without the Spirit's help. That was so good. So judging, judging is when, you know what? I might want to put you down so that I don't look so bad. 
judging is nothing but self. And, and I remember about when I, and I might have said this to you before, I'm sorry if I repeat it, but it just came to my mind when I was staying at Evergreen Commons and for, for the daycare and uh, they either have Alzheimer's or they have, you know, a lot of problems, but it's so wonderful to do, it was so wonderful to do that because no matter what hymn I sang, you know, Alzheimer's affects the mind, but it doesn't affect the soul. And they would sometimes just sing words. I had that one time that that uh, I saw one of the caretakers just sobbing because this lady was singing every word, and she had never heard this woman talk before because of his because of her, all her serious ailments, and yet she could sing every word, you know. And um, but this particular man, he came up to me afterwards, and he said, "I just I need to." confess and whenever anybody says that I, I'm nervous yeah I gotta <laughs> confess to you um, I want you to know that I couldn't stand your guts I mean that's what this little old little man said to me I couldn't stand your guts and I said you couldn't stand my guts you and I never met before you don't know me at all and how come you couldn't stand me. And he said, well, you know, and you know, when I sang a lot, you know, churches would advertise and they'd put this little picture, you know, see, Sentinel always had a, a picture on file. Well, he didn't like that picture. And because the, he didn't like that picture, he just couldn't stand me. And then it was so cute because after the program, you know, and then, and then that's why he said, I just had to confess because he says, I'm sorry, I hope your husband doesn't mind, but I just fell in love with you. See, I mean, you know, it was, you know, I just hugged him. Because, you see, when you get to know someone, you know, so judging, keep that in mind. It's a quick, personal, biased opinion about something or someone that you don't even know. And then he says, you just catch yourself to see if maybe you're trying to see fault there because you just don't want to see you. And it's much easier to see the fault in someone else than it is to see your own. Now, I think we can all understand this message here. I think we've all fallen into this. And so now he's saying, you know, the, how many times, you know, just be careful, be aware. Because remember how we talked about it. When, when someone says be careful or if you see a, a warning sign, that means know it's coming. Know that this is easily attained by a human being. So if you put a warning sign out, maybe you can stop it when it just, the thought fleets in your mind. You've been warned. Maybe I better put it that way. You have been warned now. Now there is no excuses. Don't judge. Better start looking at yourself. And then he says, look, at when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Oh, no, I'm in, sorry. I was in six. <laughs> Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a big old plank in your own? You hypocrite. All of a sudden, I heard Jesus call me a word that I just bristle under. And I'm so glad that he did because he called me out. When I do that, and nobody might even know, 
how you can put that smile and that compliment on your lips and inside you're thinking something altogether different. He nailed it. He said, he called, look what he called you and me. You hypocrite. So that's why I had you define what is a hypocrite. It's, it's a person that says one thing and does another. And don't think for a second you're getting away with it. And the one that it should matter the most to you is the one that sees. And then he said, when you take out that plank, look what it enables you then to do. See, a plank, a sin in your own life, things that the Lord is convicting you of and you know you've got to get rid of. Do you know that you're in your blatant disobedience, you will stop the Holy Spirit from flowing in your life. You will stop the Holy Spirit from flowing, and he is your essential ingredient to live in the right kind of life. And by your own stubbornness and disobedience, you stop the flow of God's Spirit. But look what happens when you are willing to, to confess and repent and be forgiven, and he wipes it clean. Look what you're then able to do. All of a sudden, all of a sudden it's, it's the, the, the traffic is cleared. The Holy Spirit is able to move on through. And look what you're able to do. See clearly. And then, then, and only then are you able then to say to someone, and I see something that maybe you're not even aware of. I'll tell you, this is hard, this is hard, but it's got to be taught. You've got to know that there is a time when correction is necessary. I have three people that have given full permission one I see all the time, one I see now and then, one I hardly ever see. And I distinctly made that difference because all of these three people love me. They want the best for me. And I know that. So I've given them full permission. If you see me veer off course, then I want you to come to me and tell me. And... I wish I could say that none of them had to be at my door, but all three of them have been at my door. And, uh, and if you think for a second that I let them come in and they told me in, in their kindness and in their gentleness, but in their truth, they said, you have veered off course. And they didn't come all at the same time, but I've had each one at a different time for different reasons. And I, I didn't, I did not look at each one of these people and say, oh, thanks a lot. That is something I so wanted to hear. No, I mean, it is not an easy job for them to do that, but they have my best interest in mind. And I, in my humanness, came back with my, yeah, but you don't understand. I had reasons for and all this kind of thing until I shut my mouth and let the Holy Spirit show me what I needed to see and they were right. We better be so grateful if we have a person in our life that loves us enough because flip over, flip over after Corinthians comes Galatians, one of Paul's letters, because you've got to see the difference between judging and correcting because we all need to be corrected sometime. And in Galatians 6, 
Paul says this, brothers, now see, in Matthew 7, who did Jesus, who was Jesus talking about? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Paul in Galatians 6.1 starts the chapter by saying, brothers, who is he talking to? Fellow believers. It's people like you and me. We've been to the cross. We're, we're, we've been redeemed. We're saved. We're, we know we're going to heaven, but we're still human. And when we don't be careful... Guess what happens? We fall to our own self ways that are so powerful. And we don't activate the power source that is even more powerful than our own self because in our stubbornness and in our disobedience, we've clogged up the spirit. So Paul says, brothers, believers, this is all of you. You need this. If someone is caught into sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Believe me, this is not easy. But the word, the key word here is gently. Because again, what is gentle? And we're going to see that in the fruit because Jesus keeps talking about the, by the fruit, you will know. Fruit is the fruit of God's spirit. The key word here is gentle. And gentle means you are being fed by God's spirit and you will have the right tone, you will have the right motive, you will have the right attitude. Do you know what the difference between criticizing and correcting, judging and correcting? You want to know the difference? When you judge or when you criticize, you have your best interest in mind. When you correct, you have their best interest in mind. So here, Paul is trying to say there is a time and a place when the Lord wants to use you because someone is on that sinful, slippery slope and somebody doesn't show them, they're going to go farther. So we should have someone in our life that even though it is not easy and fun to have somebody say, I see this in you. They love you enough but look what Paul says, because there's such a fine line between making sure that your motives are pure and that it's about him and not you, because he says, look, but watch yourself. Look how many warnings scripture gives. Be careful. Watch out. Because you see, when the writers wrote this, when the Holy Spirit had these people write God's word, he knew that he was, that a bunch of humans were going to be reading this, even saved humans, but still human. And so they needed to hear this. But you got to be careful because if by chance a little self-motive has come in, then you know you're just as guilty as them. Maybe you're not doing the exact same sin, but you're in another sin, and sin is sin. So I just wanted to make sure that you saw that as we proceed and we, we um, go into the explanation of what the fruit is. But when we judge, we're hypocrites. And we stop the flow of God's spirit. And then when he says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. What, what, is, what is a pearl? What are you throwing to pigs? 
I remember the parable, don't you, when Jesus talked about the pearl of great price. And when he did that, you know, he did about three parables all in one. And it all had the same principle. And it was about what is your greatest possession? What is your greatest, I mean, what is of greatest value to you? What your, your greatest value is your relationship with Jesus, your salvation, his written word, all, all that has to do with him. That is your greatest possession and ha- the greatest value in your life. And so what is he saying? Don't throw that before pigs. They're just going to stomp on it. So I think he's saying as much as you want this for someone if they're not ready to receive it. You're taking your greatest possession, you're taking what's most valuable to you, and you are throwing it to them, and they're just going to stomp on it. And that, when you try shoving it down someone's throat, but then that can get misconstrued because you know what happens then? Well, you know, I don't want to be pushy. So then you don't what? Do anything. So what are we taught for previous lessons from this sermon? We're taught that all you are to be is salt and light. Because we want people to come. And Peter talks about it later in his letters when he says, be ready with an answer when they come to you and ask you why you are the way you are. So Peter, when he writes his letters later, after he's experienced all what he's experienced, when he says, be ready with an answer, Peter is very sure that they are going to come to you. In other words, don't you push it. Don't you cram it. So what do you do in the meantime? Oh, man, you just live this out. And if you think that it doesn't show, you are so wrong. You and I have what this whole world is craving. We have got the spirit producing in us. Oh, how about this? You think this isn't going to show? When you have an unconditional love coming out of you, there's no conditions attached to your love. You even know how to love the enemy. You even know how to love the unlovable. You even know how to love that, that person in your family that makes everything so difficult all the time. Okay, that's just the first one. When the spirit wants to produce within you a joy, a joy that even in the middle of your hardest, most difficult time, and you are sad and you are unhappy, this is not the way you wanted your life to be. And people around you know that this is a big hardship for you. And yet even through your tears, you have a joy because your joy isn't an emotion. Your joy is confidence in him. Your joy is that even though this might be happened to the earthly body, nothing or no one can take you from your father's hand. That's joy. Jesus said your joy is complete when you know me. That doesn't have to do with any circumstance. Your joy is your joy. And it will be your strength. Okay, how about it? When the spirit wants to produce peace, 
What about when the, when the Holy Spirit wants to produce this peace and your, your storm is just nuts around you? And yet, you are so sure. You are so sure of him. You are so absolutely, and that's why we sang this morning, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. When Fanny, when, her, when she realized what that quack doctor did to her eyes, she had a one of two choices. Sit and sulk and feel sorry for herself and let her life absolutely be useless and worthless or sit down and say, because of a grandma that taught her God's word and she kept the flow of God's spirit going and she was enabled to write 3,000 poems that went into hymns to the point that you and I sang this morning, this is my story, this is my song, I'm praising my Savior. To be able to have a blind woman who can't see a lick say, I'm watching, I'm waiting, I'm looking above. Doesn't that sound a little corny? Not to someone who sees spiritually 2020. Someone who's learned how to be careful with those human emotions. Someone who's willing to say, God's up to something. I might not like it to have peace in the middle of that storm. You think that's not noticeable? What about, what about this? How about the spirit producing a patience in you? You find that you're just going to wait for God instead of jumping ahead and trying to fix it yourself. You're going to wait. You find that when you wait, your strength is renewed. How about when the spirit wants to produce a kindness in you? And that, I mean, any Tom, Dick, and Harry can be nice. Kindness means I'm putting others first. In this situation, I'm putting myself behind, and I am going to put you first. The spirit can do that. And that's noticeable. You think the spirit isn't noticeable when he produces within you a goodness? that you understand that God's definition of good and your definition of good aren't the same and you choose his because the spirit has enabled you to say that in all things, he, I know, he's turning this out for good. Even though I don't like it and I didn't want it, I needed this because he's up to something. I mean, this is the... This is the Holy Spirit working, and it makes such a difference. What about this? When the Spirit produces within you faith, a faithfulness, a trust, a confidence, a belief, that even when you can't see how this is going to turn out, you're going to trust him because you have confidence and assurance in him. When the spirit wants to produce within you and I a gentleness, you talk about a strength. You don't have to fight. You don't have to debate because you know why? The Bible says. I'll tell you, that has helped so much. And you know why? Gentleness is the eighth one because they all come in order. You need seven to get to gentleness, to be that confident and that sure. Because you need to keep being God's word so that the spirit can, can help you recall what you've learned so at just the right time you can say the Bible says. And then the spirit wants to produce um, uh, controlling yourself. <laughs> and, and that's what self-control means. It means you're controlling yourself and that needs to be controlled because like that gal said last night, I'm pathetic. And I need to keep remembering that I am and how badly I need this. 
So you think when you have those non-characteristics of Christ himself, do you think that that isn't going to be noticed? No wonder you and I are peculiar. No wonder we're set apart. No wonder when you make Jesus taste good by your life, when, you, when, you, how, when you're like a city set on a hill because you just radiate for Jesus because you're that sure and confident of him, I'll tell you, people will notice. And then like Peter said, be ready with an answer when they come to you. But in the meantime, don't throw it. That's just like taking your most valuable possession and throwing it before an old pig and let him just stomp on in the dirt. But by your life, when they come to you and they say, I want what you have. And I only tell you this, and I debated if I was going to tell you because I don't want it to sound like I'm just, I just want to prove to you. Because last Wednesday, I teach a class in Hudsonville, and the last few weeks, I've had this gal. She's probably in her later 20s. Oh, man, she's a free spirit. Oh, you never know what garb she's going to wear. She's something else. She's a character. And the first couple weeks, I mean, she is in and out, and she's answering the phone. She's, you know, and usually that, you know, that kind of, it kind of, you know, wrecks my train of thought and kind of gets on me. But for some reason, it kind of reminded me when I sang in Chicago one time, and there was two children in the very back row that had these outbursts all the time, and they were so excited about the music, and they just made these loud noises. And, you know, usually that'd be distracting, but it didn't bother me for some reason that night at all. And afterwards, the parents came up and said, we want to thank you. You're the first person that's ever come to this church that didn't ask us to take our children out. And these children, they're autistic, and they love music so much that they just react that way. So they kind of reminded me and that for some reason, the Lord just gave me patience with this girl. I mean, she, she was a piece of work, but I just let her go. Wednesday night, she came up to me and she said this. She says, I didn't listen tonight. I thought, oh, now I'm starting to get bugged. You know, I didn't listen tonight. I just watched you. And I thought, how perfect for this lesson. Because she tuned out. She tuned out. Because we always think, boy, we got to cram it. we got to preach it to them. She said, I didn't listen to a word. I just watched you. She said, will you help me find what you've got? Isn't that something? And like I said, I, I'm not boasting. I'm just, per- this, this, this works. Because I had that right before my very eyes. So don't think that hey, you better cram it or they're not going to know. You're going to do a multitude of good if you're salt and light to them. And then they will come to you. And then be ready with an answer. All right, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Now, did you notice? I mean, that's a familiar, familiar verse. But if you read it every day, all of a sudden these different words will come out. Did you notice that it said ask and it will. I don't know what day it was this week, but one day that word came out because obviously the first day, probably even the second day, ask, seek, and knock came out. But all of a sudden I looked and that will came out. Now when I see the word you will (laughs) coming from Jesus, I have a pretty good idea that it's going to happen. 
that when he says it, he means it. So if he says, okay, now I look at that, he's saying, I will see to it that all will be given to you if you ask. And then I thought, oh, yeah, James 1 says, if you lack, you, you ask. And you have not because you ask not. All these verses came to me. And I thought, okay, yeah, that all goes together. Ask and it will be given. But again, I go back to that first verse or the third verse where he's talking to brothers. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. He's saying, okay, my children, you are my children. Remember, I'm your father. I'm the greatest father ever. And so I do everything perfectly and I will see to it that you have everything that you need. And so he is expecting us when we ask to what? Ask what a a perfect father is going to give us. And that's what he thinks is best. See, and this is where this whole thing gets taken out of context and people just shake their fist at God because he doesn't come through. No, he's talking to believers who he's expecting that we should want nothing but his perfect will. And he can't wait to give it. So he says, you ask, you ask for my will, which we're taught to do in the Lord's Prayer. So every prayer we should always say that, your will be done. He's expecting us to say that. And he then is saying, oh, can't wait to give it to him. He cannot wait to give us his will. Now keep in mind, his will might not be yours. But see, you already know that he's going to give you the best. Okay, then he moves on in progression. He says, okay, seek. And we've been through that. And so again, this is repeat, but that's good. Seek, he says, I want to see how much effort you're putting in. Seek is an effort word. Yeah, you you got to put effort in. You got to work at this. When you seek something, you've got to put some pedal to the metal kind of thing. You, you have got to put some effort because then in your seeking, he said, if I seek, because I can see everything, I can see whether you just want to quick get that lesson, those questions done, oh, good, that's done, quick. Whew. Aren't you pleased, Lord? He's saying, nope, I'm not. Because that didn't take you at all. Those questions that she writes are so pick and easy. I want you to sit and think about it. I want you to think, not just get the answers and put them on the paper, but I want you to think about this pertains to you. Do you really want to know how this could change a little bit more of your life? Are you seeking? Because if you are, and I can see that, oh man, you'll find it. See, I know this on a personal level because... I know my limitations and I know my responsibilities. And so when I first read a passage and it does not become clear to me at all in that first reading, I'm thinking, oh no, that little feeling of worry and panic and fear. Oh, I'm going to look like an idiot. I mean, that kind of thing. And the Lord is saying, shame on you. Put yourself aside now and now you seek You seek, you ask, and you seek. And I will see to it that you find it. 
And then the third progression is knock. And I think there are times when after about three, four days, I still don't have it. And I'm starting to do that same kind of thing. The Lord said, shame on you. I want to see how persisting you are. I'm going to see maybe you might have to sit here a whole hour. And I think that's what knocking is. I want you to keep knocking. I want to see how how intent you are. I want to see how bad you want this. Because I can see. And I want to see how big your desire is. So I think this ask, and it will be given, seek, and you will find, and knock, the door will be opened. But you better know what that ask, seek, and knock really mean. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Again, he uses that father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship, and he says, remember, I am going to give you the best gift, and it might not be the one you're asking for. Do you think, and this is where it's so hard, because I, I, you use a parent relationship. I mean, as parents, didn't you want to be the cool parent? Didn't you want to be the, the one that... Um, you know, the kids knew you were the fun one and you would let them do stuff and all that, you know. So you might be popular with the kids. I never was. I never was popular. I always invited the kids over, but my kids knew that I wasn't a real fun mom. I was fun, but not fun when it came to loose. There was still principles that had to be followed. And he's saying, if you really care, you're going to say, wonder, wonder if my kids say, oh, how about this? Can I have any, you know, can I rate a movie, you know, whatever. To me, that's like a snake. And they, they, you want to be cool. Everybody's doing it. They come at you with all the phrases. Oh, you just don't want to be the oddball on the ball. But to me, that's like a snake. And even though that snake might be real pretty, and oh, it might just twirl in such a way that's amazing. In fact, this snake might even have a rattle about it. But he's saying, you know what? That snake's going to kill you. And that's why he says, do you think that I'm going to give you something that I know, even though it might make me look good for a minute, do you think I'm going to give it to you when I know that it's going to kill you? If then, though, you are evil, in other words, you're human, and if you, if you get this, how much more good gifts, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who seek him? I think what he's saying here, you better be so thankful that I say no to you. You better be so thankful that I don't give you everything that you think you need or want. Oh, how often don't we when we get a no answer? And remember, we've talked about this. What, how, does God, how many prayers does he hear? Oh, how does he answer? Yeah, you can say yes, no, or wait, but what, what's the What's the word that you want to know about how God is hearing and answering your prayer? He's going to do it how? 
perfectly because he's perfect. Again, don't let your your attitude of but I want it and that self-attitude that that's going to stifle the Holy Spirit from showing you that you need to know he loves you too much to give you your way all the time. He knows that it's going to damage you. It could kill your spirit. So in everything you do to others, what you would have them do to you. I mean, I love the way Jesus just summed it up. So whatever, whether you're parenting or whether you're, or whatever you're doing, do to people the way you would want yourself to be treated. And he's saying, and make sure that you want to be treated with the kind of, the kind of rightness that you need and sometimes it's yes sometimes it's no and sometimes it is wait that's the way you deal with people that's the way people should deal with you this because we are self-consumed people so whatever you want about you you better do it to someone else it really summed it up in such a big way we know it is the golden rule but I think it's so much bigger than that Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. That's one whole sentence. Enter through the narrow gate. In other words, you can't get. You can't get to heaven. You can't get to salvation. You can't get to the cross. You can't get to to your most valuable possession. You will never attain this unless you go through. Enter the narrow gate. And why does he put it in just a blunt statement like that? Because it's the only way. And there's going to be people, and I think we're seeing it more and more in our world, that people think they're just, they're just so sure that they're going to get to heaven because of, of their deeds or whatever. They think there's so many other ways, and they are just so wrong. You can only enter through this narrow gate, and if you need to put Acts 4.12 in your Bible, because if someone ever comes up to you and says, oh, there's other ways, don't be so narrow-minded. you got to come through the narrow gate. Well, shame on you. Don't be so narrow-minded. You come back, say the Bible says, salvation is found in none other. There is no other name under heaven by which you and I could be saved. Acts 4.12. Or how about this one? John 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Subtle deal. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Why is it so wide? Why, why are there so many people on it? Why? Because you know what? They are not going through the narrow gate. Why? Because they've got to confess and repent and see themselves for the way they really are. And that's just not very attractive. And I don't like feeling guilty. And I don't like feeling, feeling like this, which then they, they miss out on how the best can feel because that's what you will feel like the best. But 
you got to start off like this. But that's why it's kind of like, you know, that same old story I told you about that, that minister, you know, he even, and I, it goes right into the next part about they come to you, the false teachers come to you in, in sheep's clothing. And that minister, I'll never forget it. I mean, he, he just wore the, his robes and even wore the little white collar, and he wasn't even Catholic. <laughs> so to me, that was quite something. I mean, he wanted to make a statement, but the way he looked, and he looked like a sheep. He looked like, oh, you know, he is the minister, and everybody looks to him. What is the false teacher saying what you want to hear? What's a real teacher saying what you need to hear? But I'm telling you, sometimes being a, a real teacher is not the easiest thing. So it's easier to be a false teacher and just say what they want to hear. And, you know, there he is just, you know, wearing sheep's clothing and everybody's so impressed with him and everything. And then he says, okay, I just want you to know I'm not preaching about the blood this Lent season. Come on. That's false teaching because you will never know what the cross and the resurrection and salvation is about if it wasn't for the blood. But you know what? All thousand people sitting there, oh, this is great. We're just going to talk about love all, all through Lent? Well, yeah, but love means he shed his blood. That's the real meaning of love. So see how it just all goes in the wrong direction. But people are buying at a hook, line, and sinker because you know what? They don't have to deal with the blood. Why? Not just because of its goriness, because it makes you feel guilty. Because you realize what he had to go through for you. And you'd be lost yet if it wasn't for what he did. And somehow, all of a sudden, you start to have these feelings inside. Oh, what do I have to do about this? It's easier to just, if you really want to be popular, you need that just, Paul says to Timothy, Bob, don't preach what their itching ears want to hear. That's why you preach this book because that's enough for teaching and training and rebuking and correcting everything that they need. You just keep preaching that. Don't preach what, what their itching ears want to hear. Again, I'm only telling you that I have seen this work. When I made a conscientious choice to say, you know what, maybe it's getting older, maybe it's just who am I trying to impress, maybe, you know, you get to this free age of what does it matter? But I think most of all, it's the truth of God that you finally, finally decide, you know what, <laughs> kill the messenger if you want, but I'm just going to tell you what it says. When I made a conscientious choice to do that, I've never seen such growth. What does that tell you? We've been born to need them. We've been born, we've been born, we've been created by him to, to not ever be satisfied till we find our relationship with him. He deliberately created us that we will never find satisfaction until we know him. And how are you going to know him but through his word and through the truth that he set up for us? So when he said, watch out for those false prophets. And then he says this comment, verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. It's by your fruit. And now I went through all nine. Remember what 
John the Baptist said to the Pharisees when he said, you brood of vipers, produce fruit with your repentance. In other words, you can say all the right church words, you can say all the right verses, you can have everybody fooled, but I see you're not the real thing because you know what? You don't have any fruit. You're not changed. And let me tell you, fruit's coming out of you. And, and there could be love and joy and peace, but it's all a cheap counterfeit. The nine fruit of the Spirit, there's a human fruit to every one of them, and it's a cheap counterfeit. It isn't real. And you might fool people, but you're not fooling him. And look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 18. I mean, after he says that a good fruit bears, a good tree bears good fruit and bad tree bears bad fruit. I mean, we've all, we saw that in, in the last two weeks where he says, the, if the eye is good, the body will be good, you know. In other words, the eye is the window to the soul. And if your soul, if your heart and mind are good, your body will follow. It just happens. And he says the same kind of thing. He says, if you're a good tree, in other words, your heart and your, and your mind are good and your body will produce good things. But I can see if you're a cheap counterfeit. And then he says this statement, because remember, he's, he made a bold statement before too, where he says, remember he said, the blade of the axe is right at the root. And unless you make some serious changes, it's going down. He makes a similar statement here. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then he, he makes this, and this is Matthew 7, 21, is your underlined verse, it's your star verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, that's why when he says, up in verse 14, only a few find it. I don't think there's going to be quite as many people in heaven as what we think. I think in all reality, he said, few there be that really get this, who really find this. Oh, this morning, we should be dancing on the chair if you know you're one of the few. But he gives us a, a similar, yeah, a similar visual. This, this tree is going down if it isn't real. It's called Judgment Day. And I'm going to say to you, never knew you. And you're going to say, yeah, but I, was, I did all this. So what does he mean? You've got to take the whole verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay, what is the will of the Father? According to Romans 8, 29, the will of the Father is to turn every one of his children into the likeness of his Son. And that only comes by asking, seeking, and knocking. Keeping your heart and mind so that the Holy Spirit can flow, so that he can keep reminding you of what you've learned. That that relationship with Christ is going to be that full armor that you need to fight against all the temptations and, and the addictions and all the human tendencies that come so easy that your itching ears want to hear. And then he ends, 
He ends with the sermon. He ends his sermon on the mount with this. Again, another visual. Therefore, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. I love the way he says, everyone who hears, and there's the word everyone again too, all inclusive, no exceptions. Everyone who chooses to listen to these words and believe them. And then the third ingredient, and put them into practice. He said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man, a wise woman who builds their life on the rock of Jesus. And so when the storms of life come and the temptations hit you, because we've already talked about that, every one of us is going to confront temptation when we leave this place because we still live in this human body that wants what it wants. But if you've built, if you are building, and it's a process, that's why consistency in God's word, consistency to Bible study, consistency in putting him first and, and working at this. If you built your life, if you keep building your life on the rock, there isn't anything that can make you fall. Oh, you might teeter a little, but you will pop back because all the all the words of God's spirit and what you've learned will raise you back up again. So it's your choice; it's my choice. And then he gives the other, the opposite. Okay, you put you build your life on this or this world. It's all about this world. It's all about what I attain here. It's all about what I achieve here. It's all about what people think of me here. And if that's your main ingredient, importance, and reason for your life, I'll tell you, it calls you what you are. You're a foolish man. You're building the house on sand. And even as much as a little child, we love the second verse almost better than the first because we just loved the flat thing. <laughs> and I remembered a Sunday school teacher that did that to the piano. That's why I did that this morning. That's serious business. You build your house on the things of this world. No wonder when the storms hit, you're all over the place. And you're confused and you're deluded and, and you come with the how comes and the, the whys. You cannot say that the Holy Spirit is producing faith in you and trust and also say, but I can't help it. I just doubt if you really, there's no such thing. Faith and doubt can never hold hands. I'll tell you, it's all or nothing in this. That's why he only gives us two ways, your way or his. Going to be a foolish man or you're going to be a wise man. And then he ends and says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Why? Because he taught truth. And I hope as, as you leave here today, and I hope in the last weeks, I hope that you leave here every week saying, I'm amazed. I am amazed at what he taught me today. 
I'm amazed that I felt like I was the only one in the room and he was talking to me because he knew just where to get to me. I am amazed that he knows me that well and he knew exactly what I needed. He does, and it's called love. He wants the best for us. So have a good week.